Good morning. I love watching that kind of stuff. Six and a half years ago, I had a really bizarre experience in my life. I'm going along, I'm really, really, really feeling content at New Hope Wesleyan in Williston, uh, North Dakota, and I get a call to come here, and I felt strongly that the Lord was calling me to come here. But I want to talk to you for a moment, real honestly. I thought, are you kidding me, God? I've just invested ten and a half years in this place. We've gone through the oil bust. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the oil boom and bust of Williston, North Dakota. I just spent 10 years suffering, and now everything is going so well. We're starting to grow like crazy. People are coming. The community is positive. We're getting bigger and bigger, and we're going to have all kinds of influence. See, when I went there, the church was running about 225. When I, when I was called here, it was running about 650, and I thought, we're just going to explode. And you're calling me to Brookings? It's not fair. I put all this work in. And so this last Sunday (laughs) here at church, I was reflecting on what uh, God has done here in my own life. And that morning, yesterday, last week, we had about 1,400 service, okay? And uh, we go to this baptism, there's 12 people baptized, there's a couple hundred people there. So then I thought, "I I like Oasis, you guys. I creep you out up there in the balcony. But uh, I like to come and listen to the music and, and, and uh, Ben and all that. And um, there's like 369. You're way too precise. It's like 400 is what I would say. But 369, close enough. And I, I got to thinking, God, in my wildest dreams, I would never imagine this. You knew it. I didn't know it. And back in the day when you were calling me, I thought I was giving up something. You follow what I'm saying here? And I just was reflecting, not that numbers mean everything. They really don't. In fact, if you get to know me, they don't mean that much. What means most to me is people loving Jesus Christ and true transformation. And I just was kind of like last week thinking, okay, God, you know the plan to have for us. I don't know the plan to have for us. You have a future and a hope for us. I can't visualize that future and hope even half the time in my life. And I just felt like as we start this message this morning, I wanted to share that with you um, because we're going to talk on being a a grace giver today. And we're going to step into a realm that very few people in the Christian walk want to step into, but it's where all the fun is had. It's when you're willing to be devoted to God 100%. I was reading a Barna book lately. He does all kinds of research on Christian trends and all that kind of stuff. And I'm reading a Barna book. He's the author. At any rate, in the book, he's talking uh, on, on Christian trends and political trends and financial trends of the country and kind of so guys like me can be illuminated. Well, he's talking on, here's a common thing that happens in Christianity. And he, he broke it down into like a 10-point scale. He goes, scale one or points one, two, and three are like when you're, Discovering, I'm not a very good person. My life kind of stinks, and I need Jesus, right? And then four or five is when you give your life to Jesus Christ and become a born-again follower of Christ. Well, then you get to levels like five and six. You know, they they, kind of all overlap a little bit. That's where you discover small groups. That's where you discover what it means to be a disciple, and, and you grow like crazy in Jesus. He said, this is where most people stop. He said, there's a level 7, 8, 9, 10. That's when you begin to say, I want to have a fully devoted life to you, God. I want you to be 100% in charge. I, I see that I'm here to serve, not to be served. 
I'm here to contribute what you've given me, not to necessarily be a consumer, but a contributor. And when, when you get to this level of Christianity, then that's where you kind of get the full orb understanding uh, of the missional statement of Jesus Christ to go, to go, to go. Um, and, he, and what he was saying in this report was only a few percent of the Christian community ever get to seven, eight, nine, ten living. Guess what we're talking on today? Seven, eight, nine, ten living. <laughs> That's what I'm talking with you on today. And I want to challenge you just to hear this word from the Lord this day. I think it's really important because I think this is where all the fun is had. This is where you really begin to see Christ move in, in your life. You ever hear someone say, I'm not my brother's keeper? Oftentimes that's a statement made in frustration because uh, a family member or, or a friend has tried to help somebody and all they're doing is like pouring into the proverbial black hole, that person's not getting any better, and finally out of exasperation, a family member may say of another family member or a friend of a friend, you know, I'm not my brother's keeper, I just can't keep doing this because you're not responding. And I can understand sometimes that frustration, especially if you've been on the helping end of such a scenario, and the one you're trying to help is just taking advantage of you. But we have to understand something today that's really, really important. When it comes to Jesus, he would tell you and me, yes, you are your brother's keeper. That statement, I'm not my brother's keeper, wouldn't, wouldn't cut mustard with Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean we do anything anybody asks us to do. Therein lies some of the challenge. But it does mean we do something for someone when God lays them in our path. The Bible does say if a man refuses to work, then let him suffer some natural consequences. So when you, when you look at this whole topic matter of I'm my brother's keeper, we have to have discernment, right? We have to be smart about it, but we can't ignore it. And this morning as we look into this becoming grace givers, we have to understand that we are our brother's keeper. See, we're completing a little mini-series here today that we've been doing for three weeks at Grace Point. We're looking at the question, who are we? Uh, three weeks ago, we asked the question, who are we when it comes to encountering God's grace? Uh, just a week ago, we asked the question, who are we when it comes to growing in grace? Today, we're asking, who are we when it comes to being a grace giver? That, th- this is our, our, our vision statement here at church, that we would be one to encounter grace, grow in grace, and give grace. Pastor Aaron shared it this morning. And so we've been using that as an outline of addressing this question, who are we as a church? Let me give you this introductory thought today. When you become, when you become a follower of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and are equipped with gifts to serve others. When you become a follower of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and are equipped with gifts to serve others. Now, here's something I want you to just to think on. You are, probably, you are probably better equipped than you realize, okay? You probably are, 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 are more equipped than you would give yourself credit for because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who lives in you? Come on, this is not trickery. Who lives in you? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And you are probably more equipped to help other people than you realize. There are several places in the Bible where it talks about the fact that as a follower of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, God gives such a person gifts, grace. Romans chapter 12 talks about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about it. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about it. In fact, Romans 12, 6 says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And I want to talk with you just for a few moments on, on Romans chapter 12, uh, using it as an example of illustrating to you that you're gifted, that you're gifted maybe more than you realize. This is not what the message is about today. It's just an introduction 
to, to, to what I'm going to talk about in just a few moments, but we have to become kind of convinced or very convinced that God is doing a work in us of equipping and gracing so that we're then able to minister to other people out of that abundance of the Lord in our hearts. Now, prior to verse 6 here of Romans chapter 12, 6, uh, Paul made the point that we're a body, we're to serve each other and all that, and then he talks about this idea that we have different gifts according to the grace given us, and then he gives us this gift listing. Let me give that gift listing. This is an example of how God gives gifts to his body. The people of Jesus have been given gifts, and the list given in Romans 12 is prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leading, and mercy. As we willingly serve others then, we're to use our particular gift to bring blessing, to bring the grace of God, to bring the power of God to bear on another person's life. Um, these particular gifts identified in Romans 12 are often called the motivational gifts. And the reason they're called the motivational gifts are because they become the why you do something and the how you do your life. And you may not even realize this is happening to you, but, but this is, they're the reasons why and the, and the way you do your Christianity. Now, the first year I was here at Grace Point, six and a half years ago, we did a whole year series walking through our vision statement, encountering, growing, and giving grace. And in the fall, we did a Grace Giver series. And most of you, from looking at you, weren't here during that time. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is a quick review of an illustration that I used at that time to talk about the motivational gifts. If you've already heard this, good for you. It's a review. I don't think most of us have heard this illustration, but I want to give you a visual, an illustration of how these motivational gifts are used by God to minister to a certain situation, okay? So let's say a man has a heart attack, all right? He's in the hospital, he's in the bed, and he has seven friends, each one filled with one of these gifts. They come to minister to that person. I want to show you the difference and I want to illustrate to you how this would then work itself out and why each particular gift is important and why you matter and why your gift set that God has given you matters. So let's say you go to your friend, he's had a heart attack, and you're the one that's prophetically motivated. You know what you're most likely going to do? Tell that person the truth. Maybe you're going to cluck a little bit because these people tend to cluck. You know, and they wag their head. Saw this coming, saw this coming. You eat way too many donuts. You know, maybe God wants you to change your lifestyle a little bit, and I love you, and I want to say some tough things to you. I think they need to be said right now because I want you around for the next 20 years. You know, I don't want to lose your friendship any sooner than I have to. And they share some really tough things. You know why? Because they're truth tellers. They're very prophetic in their gifting. And sometimes these people don't realize it, but they don't have a lot of tact. You know? And so if you have that particular gifting and you really are a truth teller, you need to pray, God, give me some tact because I can blow a person out of the water with my bluntness. Next to show up is the friend who is a server. Praise God for the servers. We need lots of servers in the body of Christ. This person would come and say, do you need a pillow? Do you need a blankie? A drink of water? Can I turn the TV on for you? What channel do you want? I brought you a book to read it's not too exciting. I don't want to raise your blood pressure. You know, I'm sensitive to that. And this person just kind of ooze with meeting needs. Then the teacher shows up. Such a one will usually start their language this way. 
What a good lesson. If you hear someone talking like that, most likely they're teaching motivated. You can now make an assessment of your life because what else you have to do? You're flat on your back. And you can think about what matters. You can look at, hey, life's short. I have no guarantees here. And I, I got to make sure that I'm living for the right reasons. And maybe you need to begin that examination with asking yourself, am I even living my life right? Maybe I'm eating wrong. <laughs> you know, and, and they, they will talk about all the lessons and the benefits and the things that are going on and how you can learn from, from it. Now, the encourager will come in and say, wow. You don't look as bad as I thought you would look, you know? Of course, I'm not an encourager, so that's probably not how they would say that. But they, they might say, you know, others have gone through the same surgery. They come out on the other side. They, they're, they're so much better off. When you get those arteries unclogged, you're going to have all kinds of energy that you haven't had for like the last 10 years. And they're encouraging like crazy. Uh, I'm reminded of, of this, this guy that was in the water, boy, that, that, that uh, movie. Um, don't watch the movie. Anyway, then this water boy is just a stupid movie. But out of nowhere, this guy keeps popping up and saying, "You can do it!" <laughs> right? That's the encourager. You can do it. And then the contributor comes on the scene. This friend who's a, a contributor by nature, and he he would say, "How is your health care? Are you covered?" Do you not have enough money? Do you have enough money? Maybe we should do a fundraiser or whatever. He's a contributor. And then the leader comes in and says, I've organized a bunch of people to help you. Because that's what leaders do. They see a task and they organize a bunch of people to get the work done. And he says, I've got your neighbors mowing your yard. I've got, you know, my wife picking up your kids and blah, blah, blah to go to school. I'm just taking care of all this stuff because that's what leaders do. By the way, if you think you're gifted with the leadership, you know, gifting, and you have no followers, you're not probably gifted that way because <laughs> leaders have followers. You see what I'm saying? And so if you have no followers and you think you're a leader, you just may be bossy, but not leadership. Anyway, but just think on that. Be careful. And then lastly, the mercy person shows up. I have two daughters who are merciful. <laughs> I love them. They, are, they would crawl in bed and go, oh, it feels so bad for you. And they're crying and they're slobbering all over the person and loving on them and all that. I remember my daughters both were so merciful, especially my young one. And I said, you know, it's okay to work with these troubled people. Just don't marry one, you know. So, so you know, because they're so merciful, you know. You know it's scary what they could do, who they bring home, you know. At any rate, so if you receive Jesus in your life, then the Holy Spirit fills you. And you're equipped to serve probably better than you realize. Better than you realize. And we could see in this little made-up example how different people bring different pieces of God's grace, so to speak, to bear into that situation. And my goal today wasn't to do an exhaustive study on Holy Spirit gifts, but to just kind of declare to you this morning, you're gifted probably more than you realize. And God wants to use you probably more than you realize also. And so I want to talk about this because sometimes we think serving is optional, like getting to the seven, eight, nine levels optional. It really isn't because we're all called to minister. Pastor Aaron shared First uh, Peter 4.10 with you, but get this point. You are graced to be a grace giver. You are graced to be a grace giver. Let me read to you First Peter 4.10 once again. Each one should use whatever gift, gift of grace, he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace 
in its various forms. So who are we at Grace Point? Well, we're people called to minister grace. We're people filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped with gifts of the Holy Spirit to, to make that calling uh, workable. And we have to take to heart the offer of Jesus Christ because you may say, well, I don't know if I'm so filled with the Holy Spirit to do this. Well, here, listen to me. Luke eleven thirteen gives us this wonderful invitation. Listen to this invitation. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give your gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask him. God's saying to you and I, I have all this equipping, all this enablement available. Just ask me, and I'll gladly fill you with my power and my grace. It's an amazing thing to think on this, but part of the way that God's grace is given to this world is through people like you and me. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're willing to serve and to see others' needs and to to understand we are our brother's keeper, God uses us to bring what? His grace into their lives. So that's our background. That's kind of like just front-end talk. Now I want to talk with you on uh, what I would consider something we really need to take to heart today. It's a model of how do I become a person that serves? How do I become a person that is a grace giver? Because we're called to do that. And the model I'm going to use is a great example of what it looks like to use your resources, time, talents, you know, treasure, your gifts, uh, to help another person. Um, this example is about physically helping somebody, but what I want us to understand is that God calls us to be ministering grace in a way that transcends just physical helps. It, it, it goes into the spiritual realm also, and I'll get back to that in a few moments. Um, we're told in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus had an encounter with a teacher of the law. And his goal, the teacher of the law's goal, was to test Christ. So he asked him this question, who will, you know, who will inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned the inquiry right back on to the inquirer, this teacher of the law, and he said, well, what's written in the law? You know, you're, guy, you're an educated guy. I kind of hear the implication, the tone. You should know the answer to this question. How do you read it? Well, the teacher answered, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. A plus, Sunday school answer, right? And Jesus responded, you've answered correctly. And you can kind of see the wheels turning in this teacher of the law's head. Wait a minute, I was testing you and you're testing me. Jesus has a tendency to do that, to turn it back on us. And he wanted to justify himself because I think he wasn't really loving his neighbor as himself. And so he says, who's my neighbor? And that launches the Lord into one of the most known parables of the New Testament. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is what it looks like to minister grace to another human being. Before I read this, get this. The Samaritan was a despised person back in that Jewish culture. And that's the hero of the story. He's the outcast. He's the second-class citizen, whatever that means. And the ones who should have been understanding the law of love and and ministering grace, the priest and the Levite, they walk right by a person in need. The Samaritan was willing to see and stop and serve. He was filled with compassion and mercy 
and loving kindness. He was a man who was his brother's keeper. So we're going to read the story here, and as I do so, we're going to have this picture up behind me. This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is the context in which this story takes place. Kind of a desolate place, right? I lived in northwest North Dakota, and it didn't even look that desolate. All right? Close. I'm going to say close, but not quite this desolate. All right, here we go. Listen to the story. It's found in, in um, Luke, and, uh, well, you'll figure it out. It's going to show up behind me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, you can kind of hear this, but a Samaritan, and I can just hear the crowd go, (gasps) as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And I can kind of see the teacher of the law going, Oh, shoot, you know, shoot. So this guy's beaten up and left in a place like this. And along comes a couple religious people, and they don't even see him really. And if we want to minister grace, the first thing we have to do is this. We have to begin to really see. We have to see, okay? We have to... Take off the blinders, and we have to see the need around us. The religious folk of that day, for some reason, the priests and Levites put on the blinders, and they just didn't want to be inconvenienced. They didn't maybe want to get unclean by touching a person that was beat up like that. Whatever be the case, their vision was out of focus. They, they didn't see the need. And perhaps they had seen so much of it, they had become calloused. And, and the suffering ceased to bother them. Um, whatever the case, they blew by with blinders on. So we need to be one to begin to see the need. We need to be aware. We need to be aware of what's going around us. Listen, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me. Listen. You need to see, you need to be aware, okay? Um, when you're in Christ, you have more equipping than usually you acknowledge. You have the living God in you. That's amazing. You have more to offer probably than you're giving yourself credit for. You can't help everyone. I'll be the first to say that. But you can help someone, right? You can't be everything for everyone, but you can be someone significant 
for a person in need. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to see. Who should I minister to? Who are you calling me to serve, Jesus? Uh, at our baptism, I was talking with a group of people that, um, like me, had grown up in a larger city. I grew up in Brooklyn Park by the Twin Cities, and these other ones had grown up in a larger city also. And we were talking about uh, the differences between bigger cities and, and, and smaller communities like uh, uh, Brookings. In Brookings, you smile at people, right? If they look at you, you go, hey there, you have no idea who they are. You're friendly, and you smile. If you do that, like, in Brooklyn Park or downtown Minneapolis, if you smile and wave at people, they think, what's wrong with you? And are you a part of a cult or what? You know, uh, what do you want from me? And there's a little bit more cynicism there, just because, of, not always, but by and large, this is a rule of thumb. And so what you begin to learn in, in a context like that is don't look at people. Don't see things. Just live your life and go about. And then, you know, you come to Brookings and strangers are saying hi to you. Sometimes they don't, though. We've noticed that. We try that. And sometimes they just blow right by us and we think that's funny. Anyway, um, so the priests and Levite, maybe they were just cynical and hard-hearted from seeing so much suffering or whatever. Uh, and what differentiated the Samaritan from them is that he saw and then he did something incredibly, incredibly important. And if we want to truly be grace give us here at Grace Point, we have to stop. And that's what the Samaritan did. He stopped what he was doing. He was despised by the Jews, yet he was the one in the story that's a hero who stops. I don't know about you, but when I'm traveling someplace, like that Samaritan was going from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho or whatever, um, I like to get there. How about you? In fact, I know we're going down the road and the kids say, I have to go to the bathroom, and their eyes might be a little yellow. You know, I'm, uh, we, can just, we can just go a little farther, can't we? Just like the next rest stop. And they have a merciful mom that says, stop the car. I just want to get there. I'm hungry, Dad. We can eat tomorrow. Let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of like, let's get where we're going and, and have fun. And the traveling is, uh, you know, just a pain in the neck. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. I just want to get there. And this, this traveler, this, this Samaritan, stopped. He was interruptible. And not only that, he took pity on the situation. And so as the people of God, if we want to be grace givers, we have to take pity on those in need. You and I as servants of the living God, every now and then are to be interruptible. And every now and then a, a need, another human being, should grip our hearts. We have the words of life in us. We have the Holy Spirit enabling us. We have gifts, we have talents, we have treasures, we have time. And every now and then, that is meant to be something that we give away to another human being. We can't be everything to everybody, but at some point, we can be someone to somebody. Amen? And significantly, we can do that. And lastly, we see the Samaritan do something that's just fundamental to being a grace giver. He served. He was willing to serve. The good Samaritan got his hands dirty. He touched this beaten up man's body. He bandaged the wounds. He poured oil and wine over the wounds, which in that day were kind of like being uh, were thought of as medicine. And he put them in an inn and he paid for his future care. And so we're to serve. We're to care for others. We're to care for other people. And this wasn't convenient. It interrupted his schedule. Serving is never convenient. It takes time. 
Usually it takes some of your resources. But God has resourced us. God has given us time. And we have to begin to say, God, I want to minister your grace to other human beings like I've been the recipient of it so that your name can be glorified and your name can be lifted up on high. And here's the point to get today. You are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. And this is difficult because some are so willing to take advantage of a good-hearted follower of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be smart in that regard. We've we got to understand that sometimes there will be manipulators. But get this. We can't throw out the mandate of Jesus Christ to serve because of some manipulators. The mandate still is a mandate. We are called to give God's grace away because we've been the recipients of it. And sure, there are manipulators, but they cannot negate the mandate in our life, okay? And I know there are going to be all kinds of cases where you can point to and say, well, I did this, and this person took advantage of me, I did this, that person, yes, yes, yes. Don't throw out the mandate because of some manipulators, amen? So my challenge to you this morning is this, who is God putting in your path? Be on the hunt to minister. Look to serve. Be on the hunt to minister. Look to serve. The Good Samaritan models how service works. See, stop, serve. And in that case, it was a meeting of some physical needs. But oftentimes, what we're meeting transcends just the physical. Sometimes God wants us to see this person here that I sit next to every day at school or work or whatever, they need an encouraging word. Encourage them. You have the words of life in you. You might see a neighbor struggling to carry a big bed into their place or big cabinet, and you got maybe the husband and his petite little wife, and she's like, you know, struggling, and run over there and help them. Serve. See the need. Stop and care. Usually you only have to be interrupted for a few minutes to make a significant difference in somebody's life. Sometimes, you know, it's a little bit more than that. I remember sharing a message similar to this when I was at Grace Point, or excuse me, at, at New Hope in Williston, and I prayed that God would begin to give our people divine moments where you are put in that place where you can minister the grace of God to somebody. And I said, begin to pray for divine happenings in your life where you can be grace to some other human being. You can bring God to that person's life. And I prayed that prayer, and right away, had an opportunity. <laughs> I went to Walmart. Whenever I go to Walmart, I have one goal. You know what that is, right? Get in, get out, and go home. I know a lot of you have that too because I see you at Walmart sometimes. You know, these ladies will run you over with their carts. They're just like on a mission. At any rate, so I go to Walmart, and I'm sitting there in the pharmacy section. I don't even know what I was doing there. And this lady shows up. She's a younger lady, probably 24, 25, and she's crying, looking at the supplements. And I look at her, and I thought, oh, shoot. God answered this prayer. And she's crying, and I'm going, oh, I don't want to talk to a crying girl. God, can't you give me a guy? Or something like that, you know what I mean? I mean, I really did have that conversation in my mind. It was really silly. But at any rate, so I kind of went over next to her, 
old dude creepy anyway. Anyway, I <laughs> kind of said, you okay? And she said, no. Uh, what's wrong? You know, I'm just so stressed out. This is up in, in, in northwest North Dakota. She's, I'm so stressed out. We're moving all over the place. I don't even know what state I'm in. I said, well, I can answer that. You're North Dakota. You know, real helpful guy. You know? and, and then I, I'm, I'm sitting there, what are you looking for? Well, I thought maybe I could get a supplement to reduce the stress. That might work. You know, and God's saying, come on. You know, you're our pastor. Have some courage. And I said, you know, supplements are good, but let me, let, can, can I just share with you something on my heart? I don't know you, you don't me. I said, I, I, I think you, you're, you're trying to do in your life with a supplement what only Jesus can do for you. And then she really started crying. Oh, my goodness. The floodgates went, woo! And I thought, wow. And, and, and she said, I've been running from God. And we started having all this conversation. And, and, and I, I mean, I listened to her for a few minutes. And it's in the pharmacy hall at Walmart, you know. And I said, can I pray for you? Can I just lay my hands on you and pray for you? And so I prayed for her. And uh, I said, hey, you know what? I know a really good church in town, you know. <laughs> She had no idea who I am. I said, I know this really good church. Maybe you should try it out sometime. And she goes, oh, I'm just here for a couple of days. I said, oh, okay, then I won't talk to you about the church anyway. The, uh, but I prayed with her, and I thought, you know, God is ready for you and I to touch other people's lives. I think more than we're aware if we just pray for it and be in the hunt, amen? But you have to what? See, stop, and serve. Who are we? Who are we here at Grace Point? We're grace givers. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit that are precious. We're to minister God's grace in its various forms. We need to be people who see, stop, and serve. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for the day. It's wonderful to see uh, all these fresh faces here. It's neat to be part of this uh, beginning moment of the, of the new uh, school year, whether it be at SDSU, whether it be at the high school, middle school, grade schools. Everything is just kind of kicking into gear. It's wonderful um, to, to just sense all the excitement in the community. And I think we here at Grace Point are positioned just in a, in a really good, healthy way uh, to really impact our community for, for the cause of Christ. I just pray that everyone here would become that level seven, eight, nine kind of follower of Christ. Kind of the Mother Teresa, so to speak, model. Where we, we see that we're called to serve, we're called to, to give grace away because of what we receive from you, God. We're called to be that conduit through which your grace flows into the life of other people. Help us to take that serious. We can be ones who set tone and we can set the temperature of the environments we find ourselves in simply by just loving on you, Jesus, and loving on people. We can't be everything to everybody, Lord, but I know that you have somebody that we're going to be someone special to. So help us to be tuned into that and help our hearts to be open to it. We love you so much, Jesus. I thank you for this day. I thank you for all these ones who do serve. I pray now as we kind of close the day that we would take this opportunity to serve here seriously. If, if there's a, a myriad of ways we can serve uh, our church, um, I pray that each one here would understand that they're all called to serve. And I, I pray we wouldn't think someone else would do it. And then we're called just to have service as a lifestyle, as a way of following you, as a way we do our Christianity, Lord. So grace us to be that kind of a people here. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen.